you a favor and stand to your feet. It's not often I get to hijack the service. This is amazing. Your son-in-law, just upstage, Jeff, on your birthday. 63, maybe from your perspective, though, it's 39. Shall we sing? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Pastor Mark. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Mr. Mark? I like that, Mr. Mark. Not Mr. Mark, Pastor Mark. <laughs> I hate you all. <laughs> Stay standing. Just teasing. I'm very blessed. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Glad to have you all joining with us this morning over in Appleton and Stevens Point at our campuses there on this, my birthday. I'm too pretty to be this old. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway, uh, very quickly, <clears throat> across our campuses, we're having a baptismal service December 13th. So uh, sign up. If you've given your life to Christ and have never been baptized, you need to get baptized. And it's going to be a fun, fabulous service Wednesday night, correct? Yeah, December 13th. And also keep in mind our legacy offering that's coming up December 10th. Be intentional. Don't just slide in without thinking it through. All right? Pray about it. Think about it. Talk about it. And come with something special to give. And as I said, if it doesn't sting a little bit, a little bit. You're not doing this right, all right? Well, this is uh, the big uh, holiday weekend, kick off to the holidays, Thanksgiving, and uh, Friday, Black Friday, I call it the annual running of the pagans. <laughs> a, for those of you who don't know the reference, in Spain every year they have the running of the bulls. Idiots, idiots get out there and <laughs> run away from bulls, the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But uh, uh, Jesus, in a Sermon on the Mount, warned us not to get caught up into the things of this world and be obsessed by these things. He says, your Father in heaven knows you need them, and he will bless you, uh, but don't be like the pagans who run after these things. So I always call Black Friday the running of the pagans. Everybody out there looking for great bargains, and uh, hopefully you found some nice bargains so far and have fun with the whole shopping experience. Today I want to talk to you about 
the best bargain ever. It's the season of bargains. Now, what is a bargain? A bargain is something acquired at a price that is advantageous to the buyer. And the more advantageous to the buyer, the greater the bargain. I saw people standing in line Thanksgiving Eve. They stood there all night long to get stuff at Best Buy. Man, ain't nothing good enough in there I'd stand that long for. But, you know, everybody's got their thing. They're out there doing their, I'm sure they had fun freezing to death. But why did they want to do it? Because the first ones in got the best bargain. It was the most advantageous. Although I would think freezing at night in Green Bay all night long is anything but advantageous. But that's what they did, and everyone's having fun with it now. I'll talk about some of the, one of the greatest bargains that you'll ever experience in your life. Jesus talked about it in Matthew, the 13th chapter. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Why? He didn't want anyone to know it's there. He's excited. He runs home and in his joy sold all that he had in order to buy that field. All his friends undoubtedly thought he was out of his ever-loving mind. What are you doing? Man, I'm liquidating everything. I want this chunk of dirt. I'm sure they thought he was crazy, but of course, when he gets the chunk of dirt, suddenly he finds the treasure and is way ahead. Again, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Today we'll talk about the greatest bargain you'll ever experience. Jesus talks about it in John. It's recorded in the Gospel of John, the third chapter, the 16th verse. It says, For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Paul wrote about it in Romans. He says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God didn't wait for us to get our stuff together before this happened, when we were at our worst, our lowest, our most hopeless condition, God reaches out, driven by his love and demonstrating his love, and that Christ died for us while we were at our very worst. We read in Ephesians, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. You cannot earn this. It is a gift given by grace. And you often run into people who it doesn't take long to become aware that they don't get this. They talk about eternity in terms of, gee, I, I, I think I'm okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. As if they're, they're trying to balance out the scales. You know, they think it's like this. And if I can just be a little bit better than I am bad, then I get in. But that's not the way it works. Our scales are so messed up. There's no way we can balance it out. Our sins are so great, so heavy. There's no way you can fix it on your own. But they think they can. And just when they aren't sure about themselves, they meet someone else who's worse than they are, and it makes them feel better about themselves, right? I mean, I can't be a sinner. Look at my brother-in-law. You know, he's, he's horrible, you know. 
And the more horrible our neighbors are, the more righteous we feel. The more we read about terrible, terribly acting people in the news, the better we feel about this, right? Because I'm not that bad. Clearly, I'm good enough. God will look at me and let me slide. But that's not the way it works. We have to all realize that without Christ, we are forever hopelessly lost. And it is by his grace where he gives us incredible bargain. He takes all of our sins, all of our failures, all of our mistakes, and in turn exchanges it for his grace and his love. What an amazing bargain that is, huh? Talk about something that is advantageous to the buyer. Now, when you are a seller, you don't want it to be too advantageous for the buyer, because then you're a chump, right? And if you got something that's worth $1,000 and you sell it for 100 bucks, you're a dope, all right? You know, great bargain for the buyer, but you don't want to be a fool. I mean, talk about, you want to at least be as smart as you can. Get as much as you possibly can, as much as the market will bear for whatever it is that you possess. But here God makes the worst bargain ever. Talk about all the advantageousness coming to us, advantage us. Why would he do such a thing? We'll answer that in just a second. But not only is he willing to do it, he's anxious to do it. And is reaching out intensely trying to make this bargain with people all over the world. When Jesus was here, he walked around the people and he was constantly wanting to make this insane bargain. Forgiveness for grace. How incredible is that? You know, when Jesus was walking on the earth, at first the religious people kind of thought this was cool because here is this guy who talks about God like no one has ever talked about God. He's making things clear, crystal clear, things that they had never quite understood before. People are following him by the tens of thousands. The Bible called them multitudes. Multitudes of people are following Jesus. He's the rock star of the day. Everybody likes to be around famous people, right? So here everybody's hanging around there. The religious people think this is cool. Look, church attendance is up dramatically. This is awesome. Look at all these people showing up. And he starts doing miracles and showing the power of God. Wow, how impressive is this? But then Jesus starts to really irritate the religious people of his day for one very simple reason. He was very quick to make bargains with very broken people. In fact, it drove them nuts. They would criticize Jesus. Why do you spend time associating with sinners. Jesus spent time with people who are looked down as very bad people, prostitutes, drunkards, uh, tax collectors, which <laughs> it's not like today. If you're a tax collector, you work for the IRS, we don't hate you that much. But anyway, uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm teasing you. But back in that day, to be a tax collector was to be a collaborator with the enemy. Uh, Israel was under the occupation of Rome. Tax collectors were fellow citizens who collaborated with the Romans to excise taxes from the people and in doing so would line their own pockets at the same time. They wound up being very wealthy people as they sold out their neighbors, their friends, their own families, and people hated them. 
with an intense hatred, as you can well imagine. But yet Jesus spends time with these people. And it drove them crazy. Why are you doing that? What, what, what are you thinking? And Jesus would at times explain it to them and said, look, it's not the well who need a physician. It's the sick. Now, if you're here this morning and you are not in need of a, of a physician, consider yourself blessed by God. I mean, nobody wants to need one. It's nice to have them. God bless the physicians among us this morning. But uh, you don't really want to need them. That means something's really bad uh, with you. Jesus said it wasn't, you know, the religious people that had their lives together that needed the bargain. It was those that were totally jacked up. And Jesus was constantly reaching out to those who were some of the mess, most messed up people of his day. We read some of these accounts. One of them is in the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter. Jesus is at this well. And this, uh, we read it in verse 7. It says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Say, would you mind giving me a drink of water? Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Jesus was there by himself. And this Samaritan woman looks at him, says to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. The Jews did not like the Samaritans. Now, they were actually related. Uh, Samaritans were Jewish people but who had you know, intermarried with nations around them and stuff. And they basically considered them the, the stepchildren. And they didn't like them. And, you know, the sellouts and the compromisers. And, and they didn't quite get it and didn't understand faith like the Jews understood the faith. And they basically had nothing to do with them, didn't want to be around them. Even to talk to them would be a breaking of protocol. You don't talk to these people. And much less a man even talking to a woman. They were very chauvinistic. You have no idea. It was bad, really bad. So Jesus breaks all the rules. Here's this woman that he engages in conversation, and she's a Samaritan woman. We don't do those things. Jesus answered her, look, if, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Of course, the woman had no idea what he's talking about. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Remember, we just finished studying Jacob, whose name was turned to Israel, had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, the great patriarch Jacob. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as also did his sons and livestock? Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Great analogy. Because Jesus is talking about spiritual things. She thinks he's talking literally about the water. And if there's one thing that is true about the things of this world, whatever satisfaction and relief of thirst in our souls that he gives, it is extremely temporary. And people spend a great deal of time indulging in all kinds of things, trying to satisfy the thirsting of their hearts and their souls. They turn to all kinds of things. They're convinced if I can just find the right girl, the right guy... This will quench the thirsting of my soul. If I just had enough money, that would quench it. Of course, no one ever has enough 
money. And some think, well, if I just go out and have a good time, party, <clears throat> drink a lot of booze, that'll fix it. Take a lot of drugs, that'll straighten it out. And on and on they go, and they try and they try, and whatever brief respite they have is more brief than respite. And it seems to never satisfy. It never puts it out. <clears throat> Jesus said that's what this is like, this, this water. He says, but the, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You don't have so much water, it'll be bubbling out of you. Talking about his life, eternal life. Again, this lady had no idea what he's talking about. And she says to him, sir, man, give me some of this water. <laughs> so I don't have to get thirsty and come back to this stupid well and keep drawing water. Remember, they didn't have, they didn't have faucets you opened and water just came out, you know, every day. Whatever you wanted to drink, you had to go get it and drag it back to wherever you lived. This is how people existed from day to day. And then Jesus looks at her and says, she says, you know, hey, give me some of this water. That'd be great. And Jesus says, okay. So listen, uh, go call your husband and, and come back. Well, she freaks now, okay, because she has quite the checkered past. Jesus immediately knows who she is and where she's at in life and what she's done. She has no idea. All of a sudden, she, he makes a reference to her, who her husband, and she, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't have a husband, she says. And Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. And the fact is, you've, you've had five. <laughs> five husbands. And the man you have now, you haven't even bothered to marry this one. What you've said is just quite true. Five husbands. You got to wonder, what is number six thinking? <laughs> Clearly, this lady has some issues. Now, I have made the statement before about this situation. Clearly, this is one drop-dead gorgeous woman. She has to be a babe of rather impressive caliber. Hence, people lining up one after the other to go through whatever hell she put them through. Number one had her. He couldn't take it. Dumped her. Number two comes, I'll take her. Not long before, I'm out of here. Gives it off to number three. Three passes off to number four. And four gives it to the unwitting number five. He can't take it anymore and he bails. This lady has been around the block. Made a lot of mistakes. You ever feel like you've made a lot of mistakes? Sometimes people don't even want to come to church because they've made so many mistakes. I'll often meet someone in town and say, man, you ought to come to church. And they say, man, I'm afraid if I come in there, the lightning will strike me. <laughs> Why? Because they've made so many mistakes. They've done so many bad things. They, they can't imagine. They can even walk into the church, but they don't understand this bargain that God is wanting to make with them. It's not about how many mistakes you've made. And by the way, His grace is greater than your stupidity. Somebody say amen. You know, it's not like God is shocked when he finds out about you. Like, oh, myself. You know, I mean, it's, he's pretty, pretty much on top of who you are and knows exactly all you've done, good and, unfortunately, all the bad. Don't ever think that, you know, I've made so many mistakes, there's no way God can bless me. 
Listen, if that were the case, we wouldn't even be reading the story. Jesus would have been spending time with some really nice people, having some great conversations with them. It would all be stories about people, really cool people, and blessing these really cool people who kept it together and never did anything nasty and always were great people. No. The Gospels are full of encounters like this where he meets with really jacked up people. People are completely messed up. People have done so many things wrong. You can't even begin to comprehend it. And he keeps reaching out to these people and making this incredible bargain. Great to the advantage of the buyer. My sin, my failures, my mistake. For his life, forgiveness and grace. We read about another encounter in John, the eighth chapter. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, these are the religious pinheads of the day. Very, very Pharisaical into legalism, making sure everything's just exactly right at all times. Well, these pinheads brought in a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Now that's embarrassing. Good Lord. Just finding out about it later is embarrassing. Being caught in the act is humiliating. And they made her stand before the group. They're not covering her fault. They're exposing it to everyone. Can you imagine just for a minute what that had to be like for her? The humiliation, the shame, the embarrassment, the tears streaming down her face. And she knew what they were up to. They wanted to kill her because of her sin. They came to Jesus and said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, you ever wonder where was the guy? Right? Hard to catch you in the act without the actee. Where is the actee? The actee took off like a cockroach when you turn on the lights. They let him go. Why? Well, he's probably part of the club. Oh, it's Fred. Oh, it's Fred. Fred, what are you doing, Fred? Put on your pants. Get out of here. It's not Fred's fault, it's this lady's fault. It was always the woman's fault, right? How dare she cause poor Fred? We love Fred. This evil woman is Fred's downfall. It's all about her, it's all about her. It's her fault. She's caught in the very act of adultery. Now, in law, the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women. And, in fact, it does. Uh, the law of Moses that so many people want to go back to. I don't know what delusional world they live in. But the law of Moses was extremely strict with very harsh penalties. And oftentimes you'll hear Christians quoting these harsh penalties about people who are immoral today and immoral people. And the Bible says they should be stoned to death. And, and about the homosexuals and the transgender and all these things. And the, uh, by the quote, listen, don't you ever quote that kind of stuff at somebody. Do you hear me? Never, ever. That was the Old Testament. By the way, people who quote that are very careful not to quote a lot of the other parts because they'd kill you for anything in the Old Testament. If you disobeyed your parents, you could be stoned to death. That'd knock out half of you right there. <laughs> if you cursed, that'd wipe out the other half of you. <laughs> if you worked on a Saturday, it wasn't, don't do that. It's, let's kill you. Everything had this one very intense 
day of reckoning. Death. Now you say, why was it so strict? You have to remember, the world was in a crazy dark place. And God calls these people to come out of all this paganism. And, well, we should do a study. You can't do a study on it on Sunday morning. So many young people here would be traumatized to hear what kind of life pagans lived, especially in that day. And he pulls these people out of that and sets a new nation that they're going to be different than anyone else and lays all these really harsh rules. And it was rather effective. Nothing can motivate one like dying. Right? It's like Singapore. You ever go to Singapore? You ever been to Singapore? Anybody ever been to Singapore? Yeah. yeah. It is the cleanest city in the world. It is breathtaking. There's not so much as a piece of gum, a cigarette butt, a piece of paper. There's nothing. It is absolutely magnificent in all ways because they hammer you if you so much. I mean, there's heavy penalties for chewing gum. They tolerate nothing. And they don't have problems with drugs in Singapore. Do you know why? The penalty is death. A high motivator not to do such things. In fact, when you fly into Singapore, you have to sign a document that acknowledges you understand the penalty for illegal drugs is death. You have to sign permission. Yes, you can kill me. Not a lot of dope heads in Singapore, I got to tell you. So, you know, obviously, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm for such harshness, but it's rather effective, I'll tell you that. This is a country that just doesn't have the problems. And it's a Western country, one of the wealthiest spots on earth. They don't have a lot of the problems, but of course they do it with a rod of iron. And uh, that was what the law of Moses did. It straightened out all these people. So anyway, he they quote, look, the law of Moses says to take a woman like this and stone her to death. So what do you say? And they were using the question as a trap. Do you know why? Because they knew him. He was constantly going around and cutting bargains with people, letting people off the hook, and it ticked him off. How can you do that? Well, now we got him. What's he going to say about this? God in the very act is what the law of Moses says. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say now? The Bible says that Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. But they weren't done. They were still yelling at him. They kept on questioning him. Hey, hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? He straightened up and said to him, all right, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, it doesn't tell us what he wrote on the ground. But it wouldn't surprise me if he started writing some of the less, more dramatic sins. See, there's sins that are very obvious to people. That's why I get so grieved by well-meaning but very ignorant Christians who are running around quoting the Bible of death and stuff on certain groups of people they don't approve of. Oh, dear God, what's wrong with us? Because it covers their sin, you see. We put out the sins of others, takes away the light from us. But I think what Jesus was writing, he's writing some of the sins that aren't so obvious, like hate, greed, bitterness, lust, unforgiveness. Oh, man, there's all kinds of nasty sins. You can walk around all day long and everybody thinks you're okay because they can't see those. Maybe that's why Jesus was writing in the ground. 
whatever it was, it had quite the effect. At this, it says in verse 9, those who heard what he said, as he's writing on the ground, they began to walk away one at a time. The older ones first. <laughs> he says on his birthday. <laughs> the older you get, the more jacked up you are aware of where you're at. The mistakes. The things you say you shouldn't have said. The things you did you shouldn't have done. Oh, man, the longer you're on this earth, the more and longer the list can be. And these guys, starting with the oldest, went, oh, man. And they started walking away, all the way down to the younger ones. Younger ones probably had no idea where everybody go. <laughs> when you're young, you think you don't have any, any issues, right? Anyway, Jesus... Uh, well, still, it says that uh, they all began to go away from the oldest first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing. So there's the picture. They're all gone now. The woman is still here. Isn't it interesting? You, you think she'd have run off, right? This is humiliating, but she's so freaked out. Everybody's up, and she's still standing there, and there's this guy. She doesn't know him. She doesn't know what he's about. She has no Is he going to kill me? Is he the one who's going to exact this revenge? This punishment? Jesus straightened up, verse 10. He says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, sir. I'm sure tears streaming down her face. Again, humiliated beyond imagination. And Jesus says to her, Then neither do I condemn you. Now go, leave your life of sin. Talk about striking a bargain. And here's the kicker on this one. Do you notice she never asks him to forgive her? She never even said she's sorry. So quick is he. So driven is he to strike this grand bargain with people. So I let you go. But stop now. Don't do this anymore. You see, at some point, there's still the stopping. Remember the analogy in the original parable. The guy goes and sells everything he has to get this. At some point, you've got to let all that stuff go. All the stuff that you think is going to have, all the stuff you've been trying to satisfy the thirst in your soul. You've got to let it go. But when you come to Christ and all this grace and life and forgiveness and a new start happens, it is the grandest bargain you will ever strike. And why, why would God be willing to make such a bad deal? Well, we read about it in John, the third chapter, verse 16. He says, because God so loved the world. It's his love that drives the worst bargain in eternity for him, but the best bargain you will ever have. Amazingly, there are people who are hearing me right now, watching me on television all around Wisconsin, all over the world on the internet. There's people hearing about this bargain, and they still say, no thanks. But wonderfully, there are those who are hearing right now who in their heart are saying, yes, I want this bargain. I want to be in on this deal. And if you'll just come to God and be honest with Him, ask for His forgiveness, His grace in your life, he will give you the best bargain you'll ever, 
ever find. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness and your willingness to strike such a deal with us. Lord, in our sins, we are overwhelmed and hopelessly lost. But here you come, willing to forgive our sin if we will simply put our trust in you and let go of all these things that don't help anyway. Oh God, help us to have faith today. People listening today, maybe who've never come to you, that you'll turn on the light in their hearts. Help them to see this bargain and that they will willfully, joyfully make this deal with you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.